the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you. Good afternoon. Welcome. My goodness, did we dare say it? It's a Wednesday, and uh, we're now T-minus six days and counting to the general election. The election that... (laughs) Seems as if the campaigning has been going on for four years and uh, fearful that the ballot counting may go on for as long. Hey, get out the vote. Here in California, um, I suppose like many parts of the the country, although most notably here, um, even prior to the COVID scenario, we've had the opportunity to vote in advance. I've taken advantage of it a time or two just because maybe something was going on on a Tuesday that uh, would have made uh, getting to the polling place a little bit challenging. So I encourage you to go and vote. And you can go online to your um, county clerk's office in most cases that um, oversees the elections in each respective county in California and find out where the early voting polling places are and head down there over the weekend. Um Get your vote in, get it counted, so that uh, come Tuesday, it's not a bigger mess than what we're already potentially anticipating. We're going to talk more about the elections on the program tonight. A little bit later on, we'll also work through the list of propositions. We got into that a little bit um, Thursday of last week or Friday and then got cut short. So we'll pick up sort of where we left off. So if you've been wondering about the ballot propositions, we'll work through that list a little bit later on in the program. Let's lead off with some news. Um, You are aware, undoubtedly, that Amy Coney Barrett has now joined the United States Supreme Court after a contentious and perhaps anticipated so 52 to 48 Senate vote. Donald Trump has had the opportunity now to appoint three justices to the high court. This justice, of course, in many ways, at least ideologically, is very different from the justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that she replaced. When we speak of the originalist view of the Constitution, what exactly does that mean? Well, we've invited the best expert on the Constitution that I know. He is constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Degas, to talk about the, not just confirmation, but uh, now the swearing in to Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Good to have you with us, Brad. Well, thank you, Craig. You know, a lot of this, of course, has been debate over the issue of legislation from the high court. We've seen many elements of that down through decades. I mean, I suppose in some regards we have to go back to well, I might argue even 
as far back as the early 1960s when we saw the elimination of prayer in the classroom, things of this sort. And so there's long been a hue and cry for the desire to have members of the high court that would take an originalist viewpoint of the Constitution as opposed to um, what an Al Gore call it, a living, breathing document that seems to move, change, and undulate with uh, the times or the whim of whoever happens to be on the high court at that time. In your viewpoint, with this confirmation, and she, of course, is now uh, uh, Justice Barrett, what are your thoughts in terms of um, this appointment and her impact on the high court and future cases that may come before it? Yeah, Justice Barrett, first off, uh, is uh, totally qualified. Even the Liberal American Bar Association rated her as very qualified, not just qualified. Uh, she is very bright. Uh, she won over the, the minds and hearts of Americans through the confirmation process uh, dramatically, uh, as the polls showed. Uh, but uh, practically speaking, she is someone who is not a conservative activist. She's not someone who is a liberal activist. Um, she is a constitutionalist. She's going to call it right down the, the center of the, of the, of the road, where, it, right, you know, where it's at. What does the law say? And in this case, what, are, what does the Constitution say? What was it intended to mean? That's what we follow. Case closed. And then if the people, we the people want to change the Constitution, we can do it. Or if we want to have our legislators change the law that they're reviewing, they can do it. But she's going to be a true uh, jurist that our founding fathers expected all judges to be like her. That's what they wanted. They don't. Uh, judicial activism are people who are uh, taking away power and authority from we the people through our legislative branch and through the executive branch. So um, she's going to do a fantastic job on the short run. She's going to play have a big impact uh, potentially on this election. She will not need to recuse herself. Um, that is uh, a given in the history of justices uh, would support that. She, uh, so uh, if we have another Florida ballot crises and, and need to have it decided on whether ballots count uh, you know, when they are collected in February or March, whatever the, the issue may be, um, she'll be ruling on those, those issues. Also on Obamacare, that's going to come up again. But she's not going to be ruling from an ideological perspective. She's going to be ruling on what does the law say, um, and that's what we need to abide by, not what the, the governor just pronounces or what some liberal judge pronounces. And certainly that's always a lingering concern that one's own personal viewpoint would somehow color uh, decisions that any member of the high court on any subject, any point in history perhaps, would make. There has been a number of political cartoons, perhaps you've seen them, that would suggest that when we use the terminology from a conservative standpoint as to Justice Barrett being an originalist, um, there's often the, the connotation that that means uh, thinking in terms of the 18 or 1770s, <laughs> that it somehow suggests that it, it's, it's, uh, it's old-fashioned thinking. Uh, what, what is flawed in that viewpoint? And, and most certainly I have to wonder, if we're, if we're talking about looking at any piece of, of legislation passed by Congress or um, at, at the state level that makes its way up before the United States Supreme Court, the ultimate question of, of constitutionality or lack thereof is not really based on, shouldn't be, on personal opinion or viewpoints or anything from a historical perspective, save the historical perspective of the original intent of the Founding Fathers. 
Uh, right. You know, it's interesting. When you talk about a, a originalist or someone who looks at the original intent uh, of the Constitution, what did they intend? What does it say? You know, strict textual, uh, strict construction, what does the language say? An original intent, what was intended by it? So let me give you it doesn't mean that it's, it's, we're stuck, say, in 1770, or when the Constitution was actually drafted after that, um, or when the amendments were, you know, came through. Um, we have to look at the language, the intent. But, like, for example, uh, when our Constitution allows for the, the building up of an army, well, we have an Air Force today. You know, would, is that, is that, would that be excluded? No, because the original intent was armed forces back then, and it was just basically an army. I mean, that was what, what the context was. So they would say, oh, well, that would include the Air Force because that's a part of armed forces. Uh, but when it, that was something that they, they could not see then but was intended in, in the language to, you know, for defense. But if it talks about, say, like uh, uh, some, some new right uh, for a group that was in existence at the time of the Constitution that they decided, no, we're not going to do that, we're not going to create um, some, some, uh, some new right, if you will, that doesn't exist, uh, then we know, well, that, that was not their intent. Otherwise, they would have put that in the Constitution. Um, and so that, that is what it's, what it's looking at. It, it applies it to, to new language today, but it doesn't leave the original intent, which maintains the integrity and the, the stability of the Constitution and our government itself. If we, have our, we just have judicial activists just changing the Constitution to meet their needs, then it's, it's a disaster for our nation and stability. Uh, everything from the economy, businesses can't invest in America because they don't know if the Constitution is going to be a different Constitution next year when new activists are appointed, et cetera. So it's real important that that the Constitution be respected based on strict construction and original intent. It's, it's very important for economics, for freedom, for liberty, um, just the maintaining of, of our stability of, of our government. That's why if we have court packing or they expand, they decide to suddenly put more judges on the court, 5, 10, 15, whatever they you know, needed to, to meet their, their short-term needs of whoever's in power in the, in the White House or the Senate, that's, that'll be disastrous and it'll basically destroy our third branch of government being autonomous the way it needs to in order to protect the Constitution. Uh, that, that certainly is in the, the speculation stage, but let's talk about that for a moment. So the Judiciary Act of 1789 set the members or the number of members of the U.S. Supreme Court at six. In 1807, it was increased to seven. 1837 went to 9, 1863 to 10, 1869 back to 9. And we know, of course, from history that in 1937, uh, FDR, upset that the high court turned down a number of his programs related to the New Deal, attempted to court pack with the desire of not only fixing uh, a particular age by forcing judges to retirement when they reach that age, but ultimately the desire to set the court level at 15. Some have made the argument that, well, we're talking about the same number of justices in 2020 or 21 as we had in 18. 18- 37. Doesn't it make sense to increase that number? If so, why so? And if not, in your opinion, why not? Well, I think Ken Starr, um, who is you know, very respected in terms of uh, the Constitution and, and the Supreme Court, uh, put it very well when he said nine is really just a, the, the perfect number. Um, you have enough justices there to have a, a good uh, discussion uh, to make sure different angles and issues and are being addressed in discussing the issue uh, 
but it's not so large that it becomes more of a, of a legislature where you have lobbying and well, I'm going to lobby here, lobby that. Uh, right now at 9, they can sit around a conference table, they can discuss, they can argue, they can, you know, smash it out, they can, you know, really digest it deeply as opposed to a larger number, like 15, it becomes much more political. We're going to get someone on our side. Uh, we'll do this. And, um, and it takes away the, also the, the depth of really discussion and deliberation that takes place in a smaller body. Uh, but the real danger, of course, is the same danger what, that FDR was, was uh, having. And that's why the Democrats uh, actually, t- they were the ones who told FDR, absolutely not. Because if we do this, then when the Republicans get control, they'll increase the Supreme Court even more to regain their ideology, and we'll destroy the third branch of government's autonomy, which is critical to maintain the integrity of government and law and the Constitution. So that's why he didn't do it. He had the, the, the Democrats in, in power. They were there, but they're the ones who said absolutely not because of our love for this nation. Well, now we have people in politics who are very short-sighted looking for the, the you know, how do we quickly you know, get what we want, in the long term, it's going to be very, very dangerous and destructive for and, and the third branch of government will no longer be the third separate branch. It'll be merely the puppet of whoever is occupying the White House and the Senate, uh, because if the Supreme Court doesn't do what they want, they'll just threaten to stick another 5, 10, 15 judges on it, and uh, the Supreme Court will become just a political tool with no credibility, just like you have in, in Venezuela. Cuba and other totalitarian countries. They have their court system, they have their Supreme Court, but it's just the puppet whoever's, whoever's in power and those countries economically face the result of that. They don't have freedom, they don't have liberty. People doing business have no confidence uh, that they're going to prevail because whoever's in power really controls the courts. We don't want that in America. This is the most serious threat to our liberties and freedoms and our, our maintaining of equal justice under the law than anything that I have seen uh, in history. Um, if this goes through. And moreover, I would imagine that the, the, the give and take, the natural process of deliberation um, based on nine individuals hearing a case would just slow everything down if suddenly we've added another six to that number, uh, which means you'd see a significant backlog of cases in the court because more people ask more questions, which takes more time ultimately. And then at the end of the day, if it's based on a majority decision, well, whether you have 9, 15, 50, 500, or 10,000, it's still going to be based on the majority decision. And every president will have an opportunity to appoint justices as they retire or pass away. So at the end of the day, I, I, there, there's obviously a short-term goal here. Things are not going our way, so we're going to see if we can't make adjustments accordingly. But the long-term big picture here seems to be terribly flawed. Oh, it, it will. And, and people need to understand the ramifications of this. Why, why I mentioned economics um, is it's, it's huge, huge. Our ability, people invest in countries that are prosperous for two reasons. Number one is the moral of the people. This is the World Bank Organization, not, not Brad. Uh, they found it's the morals of the people, the, and number two is the existence of a, a reliable system of law that is, has equal blind justice. If we have a system where whoever's in power can just put justices on to create and get the outcome that they want, we no longer have a system of laws. We have a system of like a third world country or country with a totalitarian dictatorship. People will not invest. Companies will not invest. Uh, there'll be tremendous uncertainty. Corruption will be wide open. 
for our court system uh, moving forward. And uh, it'll be a ping pong, and our Supreme Court will grow bigger and bigger and bigger as one party changes power to the, in the Senate and the, and the uh, White House. So uh, this is, and the fact that this is even being considered, this, this commission that's being discussed by one of the candidates running for president, uh, this, quote, bilateral commission will not only stack the court, it will potentially split the circuit courts. So it instantly double the number of vacancies, allowing uh, whoever's ever in office, you know, that you know, to, to just flood the district courts, the federal circuit courts. Um, it's 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 going to be uh, just very very dangerous uh, moving forward, and uh, and the reliability and the confidence we can have in our our very system of government. That that to me is the most important issue that's on the table uh, next to uh, overturning Roe versus Wade, which I. I think is uh, in the near future, uh, one way or the other. And and certainly to conclude, Brad, as we saw the challenges related to the attempted court packing in the 1930s, at the end of the day, uh, the real support, you alluded to this a moment ago, the real support that eroded for FDR wasn't amongst Republicans, who in many respects were sort of dubious of many of his projects as uh, his first term turned into the second um, but he really lost support amongst fellow Democrats. And so uh, there's there's always a slippery slope there that initially it kind of seems that sense of, well, things didn't go our way, so we're going to try to make sure that they do. Uh, but, the, but the end game, uh, regretfully, has more significant implications that could create in this sort of free-for-all uh, a, a real mess. And as I pointed out later or earlier, if, if you go from 9 to 15, well, why not 21? And if 21, why not 30? Where do we end? Brad Dake is constitutional right. lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. We appreciate the update and some insights to uh, uh, newly sworn in Justice Amy Tony Barrett. All right. A look at traffic for you right now. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Just looking at a fascinating statistic here. Uh, We talk about a nation being very lackadaisical when it comes to being involved in elections. And and I've often argued, um, perhaps none successfully, but (laughs) nevertheless argued that maybe we need to take the approach that some other countries do where there is a penalty or a reward of some sort in relationship to voting. Uh, There are some uh, countries where you absolutely are required as part of your citizenship to vote. And if you don't vote, when you go to do things like renew your driver's license, register a car, any sort of interaction like that um, with the government, uh, they have it on record whether or not you voted. And if you did not, before you can transact your business, you have to pay a small penalty. I don't know at the end if that's really going to be a motivation. Good citizens vote, and lousy citizens do not. But I find it interesting to note that so far, with a week to go in the election, T-minus six days and counting, 75 million people have already cast their ballots. That represents 56% of all those that voted 
in the uh, 2012 election. So that's uh, it's an interesting number and one in which we hope you will uh, do your part in increasing as quickly as possible. I said it a moment ago. I'll say it again. I'll probably repeat myself before the broadcast is over with tonight. Get your vote counted. If you are concerned about the slowness of the post office because of some of the changes put in, uh, I understand that. Um, I, I tell you what I did. I, I walked mine to one of those ballot boxes right out in front of City Hall and the police department and deposited mine there. It was a bit of an effort to do it, but I wanted to absolutely make certain it didn't get caught in some labyrinth uh, maze at the post office. Um, Short of doing that, get to one of the early polling places. As I mentioned earlier, you can go online to your county register of voters office. Uh, typically, it's there in, um, you know, in the city clerk's office or the county clerk's office and uh, ascertain where some of the early polling places are, where you can go ahead of the rush on Tuesday. Don't wait till the last minute to count your vote or to cast your vote. Don't wait till Tuesday to cast your vote. Get it in now. If you mail it, don't mail it late, because if you do and it goes beyond November the 3rd, it won't be counted. So it's not like this should be any surprise. You've known this is coming. Please get out there and vote. It is so critically important. Our democracy, our constitutional republic, more accurately put, it, put depends on it. All right, let's, uh, let's turn a corner here. As we are thinking about the election ahead. For those of you that have already cast your ballot, God bless you. For those of you who have not, maybe we'll pay a little attention to our next segment. We're joined by the host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. here on KFAX. He is a former California commissioner on aging. He's been involved in the pro-life movement for, well, certainly as many years as I have been doing this program, which is uh, more than 30 years now. Brian Johnston is the Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. And uh, Brian, as pivotal elections go, this is certainly a pivotal one. Some people might be of the opinion that um, with the swearing in of Justice Amy Cohen Barrett, that uh, we've seen three appointees to the Supreme Court, all of whom take an originalist a position on interpretation of law in relationship to the United States Constitution, and therefore we have nothing to worry about. But I'm thinking about other issues. I'm thinking about things that sit in the balance as we speak in relationship to, well, the Mexico City policy, Title X funding, the Hyde Amendment, and there's a number of others, of course. Those are kind of my top three list. So maybe you can spend a moment and kind of educate us on some of these uh, these issues, particularly in relationship to where the candidates stand. Well, Craig, you're exactly right. There is so much at stake, and it is stunning to see what this president has done. He is the most pro-life president in American history. And I, you, you mentioned just a few of those, but he has allowed now states to sue Planned Parenthood. He has allowed states to um, no longer fund Planned Parenthood. But there's so much more. One of the things that I'm deeply, deeply concerned about right now, Craig, is that there is an intentional act of disinformation by the major media, and it is to confuse people about the legitimacy 
obviously of this president, but now about Amy Coney Barrett. And we've heard it, we've come to expect it from, from Mr. Schumer, but really lying about history, lying about the actions of the president and the appointment of Amy Coney Barrett. And the purpose of this disinformation is to delegitimize her. It's been suggested that, well, he's only appointing her to somehow protect him if there are ballot problems after this election. And I'll be perfectly honest, he did say, and I agree, and every honest historian would agree, you want to have a complete Supreme Court so there won't be a tie. We all lived through the Gore-Bush brouhaha. And if that had not been decided by the Supreme Court, we could have seen some very difficult situations. We could have seen a civil war, if you will. But the Supreme Court is there to make determinations. To leave it empty would be very, very unwise considering what we're going through. But more to the point, they're lying about history. And the media is lying about history. The appointment by a president and the hearing by a Senate of the same party has happened many times in history, not only during the election year and the election itself. There have been appointments made by lame duck presidents that lost the election. That's, and of course, what if you're going to complain, you ought to complain about that. But this is not reflective of true history. Lincoln himself. And he had to replace Roger Taney, who wrote the Dred Scott decision. By the way, the Dred Scott decision, probably the most evil before Roe v. Wade, both of them had the same thing in common. They struck down the laws of all the states. And what happened in Dred Scott is Taney had ruled that a slave could be brought into a free state and still be a slave, that the laws of that state did not apply. And that's, in essence, what we saw in Roe v. Wade. No, the federal government will control all of these states. And this is hugely significant. Well, Lincoln had a chance to appoint Taney, uh, excuse me, to replace Taney, which he took. And the fact is, is that he did it because the previous previous, uh, president, Buchanan, took his time and... His previous appointment, his appointment for Taney, was denied by the Senate. And the fact is, is that these things happen in election years all the time. The uh, Dwight Eisenhower had a late-term appointment. Uh, Lyndon Johnson nominated Justice Abe Fortas, the Chief Justice, replacing Earl Warren. And the fact is, is that these things have happened throughout history. My deep concern is that the purpose of the disinformation campaign is to delegitimize what the court is going to do. Today, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania overturned the laws of its own legislature and said that having votes cast in Pennsylvania, which will be, that will be a tight race, you can continue to vote for three days after the election in Pennsylvania. So we already know that this is going to end up in the Supreme Court. It is critically important that we have a complete Supreme Court. But the goal of the media and the left is to create disinformation and lies about the system. And, of course, 
that is their purpose, is to disorient. One other thing about this particular justice, and to me, you have to realize, the very day of the hearing, we had, we had the senator from Hawaii, Maisie, said that you used a word that's offensive, if you recall that. She said that, that uh, justice, now justice, Coney Barrett, had referred to sexual preference. She wasn't going to take a position on that, sexual preference. And immediately, this hard-left and rather kooky senator said, you've offended people. That is the most offensive language I've ever heard. You need to know that sexual preference is a, is a terrible word to use. And she said, oh, I, I didn't realize that. No, she literally, it was a brand-new twisting of the language that night, again, I want folks to understand, that night the Merriam-Webster Dictionary online changed the dictionary definition of preference. And it inserted, that night, we're talking about just a couple of nights ago, it said that the use of preference, sexual preference, that is deeply offensive. Now, when you have that kind of control over what information people get, you need to understand we're dealing with a battle of misinformation, a battle of ideas where lies and distortion are being pumped out in order to undercut our form of government, and it's really happening. So I want people prepared. This particular president has done amazing things. If you're remotely pro-life, you need to know there's been no other president that's been so pro-life all the way down the line. There's been no other president that has fulfilled his commitment all the way down the line. You may not like his personality or the way he talks. That's not the issue. It's what he does. And this battle for this presidency is probably the most significant in history. This Supreme Court, and we know that's why the left hates him and why they have to come against him, but they're lying. And there's too many people who are susceptible to these lies. I, I got to tell you, I was talking to my son last night about the change in the dictionary. And he was stunned. But it's there. They want to deceive people. So this is this is a real thing. They want to take over the court even when they lose. So it's important that you not fall victim to the lies of the media, that you do research, that you look for principles. We have to act on our principles that are enduring. That's what our nation was built on, on facts, on self-evident truths, not on political assertions and not on media hype. So this election is hugely significant. We know now because of the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania's decision, Pennsylvania will not be resolved for at least three days after. People will be voting in Pennsylvania three through November 6th. So this is going to the high court. Sorry, but it is. Their goal is to lie and distort the nature of the high court, the nature of this appointment of Amy Coney Barrett, one of the most extraordinary nominees I've ever seen. And you have to be ready to stand and to explain to others, whether it be in your family or your community, at your church, explain the real facts because that's what the I gotta tell you, I think George Bush was hampered by the lies that were told about him, that he wasn't legitimately president. And they used it throughout his presidency, unlike this president, 
George Bush didn't push back. George Bush kind of lived under a cloud, which is what they want to do when they lie, when they distort reality. They want you to just quietly accept it and just, oh, be humble. Oh, gosh, they're picking on me. And this president is the first president I've ever seen that said, you know what? You're lying. I'm sorry. You're fake news. Good for him because it's true. And we know, we know, Craig, in the Right to Life movement, they have been lying about abortion. The media, is conti- they don't mind lying about what's going on. And they don't mind hiding the selling of human body parts. They don't mind it. We have got to stand now. This is a crucial time. And my personal history, my lifetime, this election is extraordinary, and I think for all of us in our nation's lifetime. So be ready to stand strong. Stand for what's right. And as you just said, make sure you vote and your friends vote, your family votes. Make sure they vote for what's true and right and demonstrably true. There is so much at stake, certainly, in this election at at so many levels that um, it, it cannot be underscored heavenly enough. And I've said this before, and I know some listeners have said, Craig, I've got you on tape. You said that four years ago and four years before that and four years before that. Well, I, I, I guess um, the full disclosure here, um, the, the stakes have been getting ever increasingly higher as the country seems to be pushed further and further to the precipice. Uh, and it's in every arena, uh, morally, spiritually, certainly financially. Um, now we're facing a health crisis of gargantuan proportions. The likelihood of being able to bail out of this thing before the end of the year or even into the spring of next year is growing increasingly dim. I had made the comment several weeks ago that we would probably be at a quarter of a million people by December. And then I looked at the numbers today and thought, gee, we may be there by Thanksgiving at this rate. So there's a lot at stake here. And it's so critically important that your voice be heard, that your vote be counted. It can't be counted if you don't cast it. So get out there and vote. Now, you may have questions pertaining to the positions of candidates on the issues related to concerns of pro-life folks like you and me. Well, there's a great resource available to you. Go to the website, californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. There is a voter's guide there that will help you understand the positions of the candidates. Now, I will say this very heartily. This is not a recommendation on the candidates but rather simply the facts based on where they stand on this issue in particular. And again, complete information available by going online to californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. Brian Johnson will have a final opportunity ahead of the election um, to talk with you about these matters coming up on Life Matters this Saturday at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. We invite you to make a special effort to tune in for that and get more information online again at californiaprolife.org. 543, let's get you caught up on some traffic. We're behind time, so we'll do our best to catch up from the KFAX Traffic Center.
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're going to try to get through as many propositions as we can before the top of the hour. And so I'm going to kind of work backwards because we ran out of time uh, last time around. So let, let's look at a few of the uh, the key ones here, shall we? Uh, we want to talk first. Let me just pull through the, uh, the right page here, Craig. What are we doing here? Boop, boop, we do Proposition 15 is one of the propositions that um, you need to look at. Um, Prop 15 increases funding sources for K through 12 public schools. Um, essentially, what it does is it limits or eliminates the Proposition 13 from the 1970s cap on property taxes as it relates to commercial properties worth more than $3 million. Now, at a level, it might say, well, listen, let them pay the full value of the property, not based on what it was worth when they bought it with small increments for inflation every year, 2% per year adjusted for inflation, but rather what the current value is. Well, the problem with that is that they, meaning the owners of these commercial properties, are going to pass those costs on to people that they rent the properties to, which means small businesses that are suffering in California will suffer even more and or simply pass the increased expense of rent onto you through an increase in the cost of goods and services. So Proposition 15 is a really bad idea. And if Proposition 15 passes, guess what? They're going to come after your property taxes next. They've tried this before. It's clearly heading in that direction. So it would be very wise of you to vote against, that's a no vote, on Proposition 15. Um, Proposition 17, restoration of voting rights after completion of prison terms. Uh, Felonies historically have cost the felon their voting rights forever. I'm of the opinion that if you've served your time for the crime, uh, there should not be ongoing penalties. I don't know that there's going to be any significant impact of this. I don't know how many people who've had a history of committing felonies and been convicted of that are necessarily the kind of citizens that are worried about the next election. But nevertheless, um, restoring voting rights to persons who've been disqualified from voting uh, after they've done their term, and that's the important thing here. You're in jail, no debate. But once you've served your time, I think you ought to have a right to have your full rights as a citizen restored. So my recommendation personally is a yes vote on Proposition 17. We'll get to a couple of others. Right now, though, let's get to a look at traffic. And we'll be back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Proposition 22. Oh, my goodness, the proposition that keeps on giving. This was first um, passed by the California State Legislature that said to um, many companies that have part-time drivers, they work as outside contractors, they set their own hours, they work the number of hours that they wish. Somehow the state legislature thought, oh, they're simply trying to avoid paying for health insurance for these people. So we're going to make sure that they are now required to provide employee benefits 
uh, particularly to uh, drivers uh, for um, app-based transportation. It can be anything from delivery services to uh, delivering to your home by uh, uh, Lyft or whatever. I've, I've never used any of these services personally myself. I have no horse in this race. That said... California is facing an economic disaster right now, as is the rest of the nation, because of the mishandling of COVID-19. And so to, to suddenly suggest that we need to um, force upon people that may be working on a part-time basis as a rideshare driver to earn a little extra money, close the gap, wait till they get a new job, uh, pay for a child's education, what have you that you're going to force companies to now provide all these people who voluntarily chosen to work in a um, contractor basis to now be compelled to provide health care benefits. Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Those jobs are simply going to go away. To say that an independent contractor needs to be covered by everything, workers' compensation, minimum wage, overtime, unemployment insurance, et cetera, et cetera, um, including health care subsidies, automotive insurance, on and on the list goes, is simply going to come down to the notion that there will be an increase um, in the expense to the operator, and the operator, you know exactly what they're going to do. They're just going to simply say, that's it. We're cutting the number of services that we provide. And so... This thing has been going back and forth, and it's raised a big hue and cry in Sacramento uh, within the rideshare and delivery sector, uh, who hire drivers as independent contractors. They're not an employee of the business. They simply work part-time because they wish to work part-time or are trying to bring in a little extra cash. This could completely devastate that entire sector. So this would exempt... All app-based transportation and delivery companies providing employee benefits to certain drivers. And the uh, recommendation made by the California Pro-Life Council and yours truly is a yes vote on Proposition 22. All right. We're here at the top of the hour. We've exhausted our time on this particular topic of the propositions for today. But never fear. We have more time on the program tomorrow. And uh, between uh, between Thursday and next uh, Tuesday, we'll hit more of this for you. And so uh, with that, again, just reminding you, we're six days away from the election. Don't snooze. Don't delay. Make sure your vote is cast so it can be counted. And as best as possible, try to do so today. Six o'clock from KFAX, a look at traffic. <laughs> 